lean in and get curious about why am I doing this? What else could I be doing? What does my friendship circles and social circles look like? The last one I would say, are you going to break a promise to yourself? So if you say, I'm going to do dry July or take a break, I'm going to try this. And if I can't be successful or I quote unquote fail, that is giving me information about maybe my relationship with alcohol is a lot more serious because I was unable to keep my five day dry spell promised to myself. And that doesn't feel good. You're listening to Make Some Noise podcast episode number 516 with guest Michelle Smith. Welcome to Make Some Noise Podcast, your guide for strategies, tools, and insight to empower yourself. I'm your host, Andrea Owen, global speaker, entrepreneur, life coach since 2007, and author of three books that have been translated into 18 languages and are available in 22 countries. Each week, I'll bring you a guest or a lesson that will help you maximize unshakable confidence, master resilience, and make some noise in your life. You ready? Let's go. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. I'm so glad that you're here, as usual. I hope you're enjoying spring, if that is where you are in the world, where we're having springtime. I am so excited for today's episode. We are rounding out the recovery theme. And thank you so much, too, to those of you who filled out my survey The information is invaluable. Some of the topics that you guys told me that you wanted to hear about, I was like, what? Why have I not thought of that before? So thank you. I cannot thank you enough. And congratulations to the the winners of the tote bags and signed copies of my book. I hope you are enjoying reading them and your fun little reusable tote bag. So yes, we are rounding out the recovery series. And what I have decided to do, at least for the next few months, is go back to how the podcast was in 2021. (laughs) I was like, what year is it? (laughs) So last year, I did all themes. This year, we're going back more or less to personal development. In general, I have some amazing guests lined up, some interviews that I've already recorded, and I'm just pumped to bring those to you. And uh, the signups, the registration, I should say, for Daring Way Online Group is coming up, I believe, next week. So it's the first week of April, first or second week of April. And I have to cap it at 14 women. So if you want to be one of the first to be notified, because I have a feeling it's going to sell out within the first week or so, head on over to andreaowen.com slash group, and that will make sure that you are the first to be notified and that you get access to the early bird pricing that's going to happen. It's six weeks long. All the information is over there on that page. There are no secrets. Uh, It's all there. (laughs) It's all there on the info page, andreaowen.com slash group, all the logistics, and that all the key takeaways too is, is all there. And today we have Michelle Smith. Let me tell you a little bit about her for those of you who are new to her work. Michelle Smith is a best-selling author, keynote speaker, and founder of Recovery is the New Black, a digital community for women living or exploring an alcohol-free life. Michelle struggled for years with alcohol addiction that looked like overdoing it. In reality, she was drinking to escape the stresses of life, and the quote-unquote mommy juice drinking culture was helping her self-destruct. Since getting sober in 2016, she integrates both her personal experience and recovery and professional experience as a mental health and addiction advocate toward normalizing sobriety in our boozy culture. Michelle's work has been featured on The Today Show, TEDx, The Wall Street Journal, USA Today, Scary Mommy, NBC, ABC, and more. So without further ado, here is Michelle. Michelle, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk to you about this. My audience knows, but you might not know this. I've been sober for 11 years from alcohol. And I wanted, I really kind of went back and forth with having this as a theme because I know that my audience, like some of them, they're out about being in recovery. Some of them like might be questioning their relationship with alcohol. And then some of them are like, no, I don't have an issue at all. But I I want, I want to kind of go broad in the beginning. And can you talk to us about, um, cause I know that in your work, you talk about some truths about alcohol that no one really talks about. So can we start there? Like, what are, what are some of those truths? 
Yes, absolutely. So a few truths about alcohol is that alcohol does not discriminate and nobody is immune to becoming dependent on alcohol. Mm -hmm. I see that a lot. And I am a perfect example of that, that it affects anybody from, you know, any class of my father was a physician, you know, all the way to people who are homeless, that I think that's a big piece of the stigma that's attached to people with alcohol use disorder is that we have this idea in our head, this image that it's a person that is houseless underneath a bridge with a brown paper bag. Mm -hmm. And that is just what an alcoholic looks like. And so I think that that's a really big one um, is just that there is 50 shades of gray and that problematic drinking happens way before somebody gets to a full-blown alcohol dependence. Yeah. So that is a really big one too. I think that, you know, one that happened to me as well is that you think that you pass this threshold or this period of time that you might have a predisposition to alcoholism in your family. And you notice that you've never really had a problematic relationship with alcohol. And 30, 40 years later, so for decades, you realize that you're starting to have a problematic relationship with alcohol. Mm -hmm. So just because you think that you've passed this generational curse doesn't mean that you can start necessarily dancing with the idea that maybe I can drink excessively and nothing bad is going to happen to me. Here, here to both of those things. It's funny. When I wrote my blog post, I had a year of sobriety, so I this must have come out in 2012. And I was talking about it and I wrote that same thing. Like a lot of us think of, you know, it's like sort of like quote unquote hobo looking guy who's just disheveled and really, you know, had a rough time weathered looking with his brown paper bag in the gutter. And that's this, this sort of myth that we have in our head. And just, it's astounding to me. I remember when, when um years and years ago, Brene Brown, before she was Brene Brown, this was in 09. And I remember this was, she had a read along on her blog. So this was back before we, before everybody had a smartphone and I probably before Spotify. So she had, you could download MP3s and I had it on my iPod and I'm on a walk with my kids. They were in their double stroller and Brene Brown talked about how she was sober and that she had a problem with alcohol. She didn't really get into it a whole lot. And I thought to myself, okay, this woman who's an academia is admitting that she has a problem with alcohol. Maybe I do too. And I I was always really thankful for her for doing that, even if it was just kind of in passing that she talked about it. And the second one that you mentioned, same, like I was a pretty normal drinker up until I wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely. Me too. Well, I'm I'm curious, like also, like if someone's listening to this, and they are thinking about their own relationship with alcohol and maybe it got a little bit worse over the pandemic and you know they're or maybe they have like a health issue that's come up and they're like I should probably stop drinking but I really it's been really hard because it's become a habit or whatever and they might not identify as a quote unquote alcoholic or someone with alcohol use disorder what is your recommendation for someone like that like where do they start Yes, that's a great question. You know, I think the best place to start is starting to get curious about your patterns and your habits that are associated around drinking. So awareness is such a huge piece. When do I find myself drinking? How often? How do I feel before, during, and after? Does my world revolve around alcohol where I have a lot of great relationships, but they don't have substance? They talk, we, we go to bars, we go to happy hour. Our conversations are more about drama and gossip. Get curious about why you're reaching for this external solution to this internal problem. And a lot of times we'll notice that it's a feeling. Obviously, we drink because it feels good and we're wanting to escape our current reality. Mm-hmm. And so what else can I reach for that's going to give me the same or a close desired effect? Because the more that we stop utilizing our coping tools and just use alcohol or some other substance, we learn that it's very easy to get that hit of dopamine and we don't have to work very hard for it. So if we have to like put in minimal effort to get this reward that feels amazing, Something's wrong. So assessing why am I doing this? What value is this bringing? Instead of asking myself, am I an alcoholic and can I ever drink again? Because the idea forever is a really long time. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, don't go there because you don't have the mindset, the tools 
to go to a place that means I can never do this thing that the world is so obsessed with ever again Mm -hmm. and reevaluate your social circle, you know, birds of a feather flock together. So if I'm associating with everybody who drinks and it feels terrible at the idea of me taking a break, that's going to give you information because you can walk into a restaurant and have two different mindsets. When you are starting to have a problematic relationship with alcohol, you're going to notice everyone who's drinking. But if you blink your eyes and walk back in there, you're going to notice there's probably more people who aren't drinking. So lean in and get curious about why am I doing this? What else could I be doing? What does my friendship circles and social circles look like? And uh, the last one I would say is, are you going to break a promise to yourself? So if you say, I'm going to do dry January, January, dry July, or take a break, put some distance between me and this substance. Mm-hmm. I'm going to try this. And if I can't be successful or I quote unquote fail, that is giving me information about yeah. maybe my relationship with alcohol is a lot more serious because I was unable to keep my five day dry spell promised to myself. And that doesn't feel good. That happened to me. I lasted six yeah. days. And like white knuckled, it was misery. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. yeah, maybe there's a problem. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I know you work with clients who who might be kind of on different parts of the spectrum when it comes to their relationship with alcohol. So do you find that you help women and or I have clients who maybe they could let maybe they could do the 30 days, you know, alcohol free or dry January or whatever. And it really wasn't that difficult, but they find that when they do go out for happy hour, you know, they don't have an off switch or so they, they might not again, like have that label as like alcoholic or even, you know, alcohol use disorder. How do you start working with them? Like, or is there any like resistance that they have to quitting or what does that look like? Absolutely. I think unless we find whatever a rock bottom is defined in that person, whatever Mm -hmm. that looks like, People are unwilling to give up this vice unless they absolutely have to. And this disease is so progressive that eventually, if you continue to keep drinking, you're going to become self-destructive and you're going to have to have a reason that's an external consequence or a mandate in order to stop that is going to put a detour and slow you down in your drinking. Mm -hmm. And so it's common for people to have their own experience with this journey and say, yet, Michelle, I haven't yet lost my job. I haven't yet drove drinking. Mm -hmm. I haven't done all these things. So you're giving yourself permission to self-destruct until something bad happens to you. How does that feel? Absolutely terrifying. I don't want this to happen to me, but this is what society says is that we celebrate, we grieve, you know, we have holidays, we do everything. This has become such a staple, especially in the U.S. culture, that unless you have a reason to stop drinking or you're pregnant, it is looked at like we have three heads and we Mm -hmm. don't want to feel that way. We don't, we want to drink. We want to feel good. We want to escape. And so it's really hard for us to take these breaks. And even if we make them through, we still usually go back because we're creatures of habit. So if we don't build the support and say, wow, this, this sobriety book was amazing. And I felt really good. I lost some weight. The bloat went down. My husband was proud of me. We eventually get back into those self-destructive patterns or those negative habits if we don't feel like the inspiration or the motivation to continue living that life like a sober person lives. That's why I think it's so important to envision that person of who you want to be and reverse engineer. What does she do? Does she honor her body and love it? Because alcohol is destroying our bodies from the inside out, literally. So yeah, we don't see it all on the exterior right away, but is this worth it? Mm-hmm. And those are the hard questions that women have to continue to ask. And that's why a lot of us, you and I included, you know, we, we, our progression is very different, but mm-hmm. it all does lead to the same place of alcohol dependency. We just get to stop and get off the elevator towards rock bottom whenever we want versus yeah. we're going to continue to keep drinking until we've lost everything. Yeah. You don't have to write it all the way down. I'm curious because you're in this world a lot more than I am. And I remember back when I was researching 
because I kept typing into Google, like, am I an alcoholic? Like kept hoping like Google would come up with like a yes or no. (laughs) It didn't. (laughs) I just kept having to take these quizzes over and over again. But I remember seeing some article that said that for whatever reason, I think the jury was kind of still out that they weren't sure why, but the progression of your relationship getting worse with alcohol for women was faster than men, about 30% faster. And I think that this article was talking about that they suspect it's because women metabolize sugar differently than men and we metabolize it faster or more so or something like that. Don't don't quote me. My science is shit on that. But <laughs> I'm curious since you're in this world more than more than I am, like A, is that true? And B, from from what I've heard, there's a lot of research out now. Like the science tells us that alcohol is just shit like for your body. Like zero glasses of wine are good for you. <laughs> Yes. It's not one to two a day like it was before. Well, yes, you're right. And they tell you for the health of it, drink. And I I crack jokes and even at myself and say, well, eat some chocolate, dark chocolate or some blueberries Mm -hmm. to get your antioxidants. Quit justifying your reasoning for why you want to drink. You don't drink. This is an acquired taste. You're drinking because it feels good. And life is really hard. And we endure Mm -hmm. a lot of really hard hardships. And bringing it back to women... We drink a lot of the time for emotional reasons. We're feeling depleted, overwhelmed, overextended. This idea of modern day motherhood is completely different than the previous generations that my mother, my grandmother had. We are literally always setting ourselves up to fail. The expectations that we have for ourselves are landing us women in psychiatric units, in inpatient treatment programs, losing our kids. It is absolutely awful. And so... I think big alcohol really saw this underserved market of women called moms that they hadn't gotten their hands into yet. And their brilliant marketing ploy of mommy juice and mommy wine culture, I don't think I've ever seen any commercial or ad where they've had to market because wine moms do it for them. We wear the t-shirts, you know, we do it all. We're walking billboards to say life is really hard. When I had my daughter, I was greeted to the hospital with eight bottles of alcohol and said, welcome to motherhood. It's extremely hard. Drinking helps. Yeah, it does for about 10 minutes during Mm -hmm. witching hour. And it took me a year to crack that bottle open and to see that survival bottle that I never needed in a different light. And so if we're not addressing why the distress, why the pain, why the grief, why the overwhelm? We're going to continue to keep drinking. And if we look at how it's been marketed, everywhere that the woman goes, the alcohol follows. And that goes for yoga. We're supposed to be leaning inward, not outward. Mm -hmm. You know, we Mm -hmm. we go to the spa and there's alcohol. You know, Target has it blasted everywhere. So when you see those subliminal messages and it feels good and that's our quote unquote self-care, there's nothing that is self-care about drinking a carcinogenic that is the third leading cause of cancer and that mm-hmm. we put in our gasoline, our, our tanks to drive our cars around. Mm-hmm. It is literally poison. And there's such a divide between people who can drink and people who can't because people like me that are standing up and saying, I am pro sobriety. I'm not anti-drinking, but I'm not going to stay quiet in my disease because too many women are dying for me to stay silent in my sobriety. And that took me years to be able to build that confidence because if I don't say that, my inner self will remind me it wasn't that bad. You just had six years. One glass isn't going to bring you back into, you know, rock bottom. Mm -hmm. And I have to shut that noise down, even though the world around us is telling us that it's okay to drink. Just don't overdo it. Mm-hmm. And it's not about willpower. We just don't have the ability to say no. And we're not working with the same judgment that we said at the beginning of that evening that said, we're only going to have one. Well, all those bets go out the window after we've had one, right? I've never made one good decision while yes. drinking like more than a couple of glasses of wine. Never. Absolutely. Well, now I'm curious about your story. So like, when did you, so you worked in the field long before you got sober, right? Yes. Okay. So then what happened? What, what, what was kind of like the tipping point for you that made you understand that you needed to be completely abstinent from alcohol? 
Yes. You know, I had the perfect example of what not to be is how I looked at it growing up in a family of alcoholism running really thick. So I could have said I didn't have an excuse. I could have just continued on with this generational curse and just joined the best of them. But I had that perfect example of what I didn't want to be. And so I stayed away from it until my mid 30s and insert having my first child and being a workaholic really turned into wow, I don't really know my worth here. I've wanted to be a mom, but I feel like a bad mom because I'm working and I feel like a really bad like mom because I'm an employee and I'm running these companies. And so it, it was a really hard push and pull. I just honestly felt depleted. Mm-hmm. My mom had just passed away as I was learning to become a mother myself. So there was a underlying bereavement that was going yeah. on. My husband was deployed to war. I had my first stroke. I was undiagnosed with postpartum depression. There was a lot of moving parts going on, but I am a very fast paced, got to keep going, moving and Mm -hmm. shaking. There's not a lot of time to to be sad. We can do that, but we have to pick ourselves back up and keep going. So wait a minute. I was stopping for a second. Your mom died. You had your first child. Your husband was out of the country and then you had a stroke. Yeah. Holy shit. No wonder you were <laughs> drinking. Yeah. yeah. And it was just like those survival bottles was like, wow, I'm going to bust open one of those. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, friends would come over. And instead of me saying, no, thanks, I don't want a glass of wine. I would always say I want a coffee. I started changing that. You know what? I do deserve that glass of wine. I would love for you to bring one over. Mm-hmm. And your mom just died. Of course you want a glass of wine, Michelle. Isn't that yeah. how we grieve? That. That's acceptable. Just like airport drinking at five o'clock in the morning, nobody bats an eye. Mm -hmm. So there's these ideas of what is normal drinking and accessible drinking. And I fell through those cracks for a period of time until I got, I was dependent, you know, and I think it's so important for us to say, you know, support people who want to take a break the way that you do when it's dry January, honor a person's request to not want to drink and to pass up because we don't know why they're doing that. It doesn't mean because they're shaming you for what you're drinking. It could be a health issue, a religious reason, a challenge. It could be a medical reason. It could be because they're dependent. And the hard part for me in all of this is that I knew better. I do have the credentials. I am an educator. I do this professionally. And again, it goes to show that I fell through the cracks and Mm -hmm. I was teaching relapse prevention classes and inpatient treatment programs. And I was waiting for five o'clock to be able to go home and drown out my stress and depletion with a bottle or two or three of bottles of wine until I passed out. Mm -hmm. And I felt like a terrible person, human, mom, I'm stronger than this. And that's how the mommy wine culture kind of came into my life. It is not a reason to justify anyone's behavior, including mine. We're adults and we do this on our own, but just picking up the breadcrumbs and reverse engineering, I really, I really got a clear picture of where this resonated. And at that time, again, the awareness I was able to address, I have some bereavement issues. I'm going to continue to keep drinking myself to death unless I deal with the root of why I'm wanting to reach for this external solution to this internal and spiritual problem to begin with. And so that's kind of a little bit about like how my story resonated. And, you know, again, I fought it tooth and nail. I'm stronger than this. I have the Mm -hmm. tools. I was stubborn. I was in my addiction. And so I didn't have those yet moments to stop drinking. But once we have the reasons to stop drinking, we can't stop drinking because the dependence and the tolerance kicks in. Mm -hmm. So that's what's so cool about this sober curiosity movement. It's not normie versus alcoholic. There's these- Which it was for so long. Yes. There's these 50 shades of gray. And at any time we get to tap in and say, does this feel good to us? What is this going to cost me if I don't stop drinking? Ditch the labels, ditch the idea forever Mm -hmm. and just say, is this adding value to my life? Do I like not being able to finish bedtime stories with my kids because they don't want to snuggle with me because I have alcohol on my breath? I have to look back over my text messages because I don't know what I told my partner. Mm -hmm. That stuff doesn't feel good. I'm interrupting this conversation to bring you a few words from one of our sponsors. 
If you like to consume podcasts, which I'm assuming that you do because you're here, if you do, I think you would love audiobooks if you have not found them already. Audible has a free trial. You can try it for 30 days for $0, and then you can get two free audiobooks with Premium Plus. All three of my books are over there on Audible, 52 Ways to Live a Kick-Ass Life, How to Stop Feeling Like Shit, and Make Some Noise, plus most of the books I recommend here on this show and my guests' books are over there as well. After 30 days, you get one audiobook a month for $14.95 a month, and you receive 30% off the price of additional audiobook purchases, and you can cancel at any time. Easy peasy. Your books are yours to keep even if you cancel. Go to andreaowen.com slash audible to sign up for your free trial. That's andreaowen.com slash audible. I realize we we like kind of jumped over some lingo that some people might not know what we're talking about. And so people obviously know know what an alcoholic is, someone who has like a really big problem with with alcohol, whether they're physically dependent on it or not. So I identify as an alcoholic and I was never physically dependent on it. People ask me all the time, like, oh, did you have the shakes when you quit? And I didn't. Mine was like mostly an emotional dependent, emotional and mental dependency that I had on it. And then there's what we call in the rooms of recovery a normie. And so for people that don't know that term, it's it's someone who can, and it's probably a lot of people listening to this show, to be honest. It's people who can really take it or leave it. Like they um are out with drinks every once in a while with people and they order a margarita and they might drink half of it and not even think about the last half. So for someone like me and maybe maybe Michelle, if I can speak for you, I would be staring at that drink thinking like, why on earth are they not finishing it? Like, where is the server? I need to order another drink. I wonder if it would be weird if I reached over the table and asked them if they were going to finish it and I just finished it. Or maybe I should just reach over and not say anything. Like, and just, you know, like that's... <laughs> <laughs> the difference in thinking. And so when you're saying 50 shades of gray, and it's a conversation that has has really started happening over the last, I would say, seven or t- 10 years of the in-between. Like you don't have to identify as either of those. Like there's so much in-between. And um, I think for such a long time, people kept drinking and their relationship with alcohol slow. It was like death by a thousand cuts, just slowly, slowly, slowly got worse and worse because they didn't identify as an alcoholic. And I don't know, I think I got kind of lucky because it was, it was in my family. I had seen it happen. I I already knew what a high bottom was or a quote unquote functional alcoholic was. And I also knew that I had other kind of neuroses, like severe codependence and love addiction. And I'm like, oh, no, no, I, I'm an addict. Like, <laughs> But I know for a lot of people, like there's so much stigma against that word. So they stay so far away from it. And, and a lot of times that can be detrimental because it keeps them drinking. I don't know. Like, have you seen a big, like, I wouldn't, wouldn't be a resurgence, like a big kind of um, reckoning now that we do talk about this, like this term called gray area drinking. Yep, absolutely. And the pandemic is a huge, mm. you know, it was already a movement and already started, you know, a decade before, but with mental health and substance use disorder, it's become one of these things that I think a lot of everybody has endured hardship during the pandemic and has been traumatized. No one's walking away the same person they they were coming into this pandemic. And so I think that there's a lot more compassion and support around, wow, that that's a lot of trauma. That's a lot of unknown and fear. And we know alcohol sales went up where this would have been myself as an alcoholic, a dream to have curbside booze. Are you kidding me? Delivered to my door. Um, The only coping tool we have, we can't get a haircut because it's illegal. Uh, We can't go to school, but we can drink our faces off and smoke cannabis all we want. I mean, come on. I mean, who wouldn't, right? Mm -hmm. And so when you have these quarantine happy hours and all of these things, again, slow and steady, a couple years in the making, all of the underlined mental health stuff where it's like depression, anxiety, fear, unknown. Am I going to live? Am I going to make this through this? How am I going to pay my rent? I don't know how to teach my kids remote learning. I'm going insane. All of these things where now the conversation is, I feel that people that came before you and I are stepping up in the sense of that they haven't gotten to the alcoholism yet. So they Mm -hmm. have this health trend just for the health of it, right? It's kind of treated like celiac disease. My best friend can't have gluten. I honor that. 
I don't need to know why, even though I know why. So I'm going to have alternatives. And alcohol has really shifted towards that where people aren't afraid to say, I don't like drinking. I have a race tomorrow. I'll take an adult Shirley Temple or an Arnold Palmer. And so the bartenders and the mixologists, like this is getting out there that supply and demand, people are asking for this stuff. You better bring it to what what their requests are. So there's so many people stepping up and saying, I haven't hit that bottom yet, but I just don't like the way it makes me feel because health's a trend and we're here for it. So there's just a like a melting pot of reasons for why people aren't doing it anymore. But literally, I got so dependent on my alcohol use that I was willing to die trying to find that third door of moderation. Mm -hmm. I could do it once in a while. And I think that hamster wheel, wherever anybody is on the alcohol use disorder spectrum, everyone goes through that period of bargaining and trying to negotiate that, oh, it was just because I was on the whole 30 and I drank with with an empty stomach. That wasn't a fair chance. So I'm going to go ahead and try next week and see if I can regulate and Mm -hmm. moderate my drinking again. And that's complete insanity because I did it for years until I ended up in the hospital with my own chemical dependency team of employees around me with a blood alcohol level of 0.43. I was dying in the hospital because I wasn't willing to give up my love affair and obsession for alcohol. And I was willing to die trying to get it figured out. That's insanity. Mm -hmm. And for people hearing this and just saying, wow, like how could you let alcohol get in the way of losing your kids, your relationship, your career? I couldn't figure it out either. But it's just this, it's this addiction that literally takes your soul. And I always say it like hijacks me. I would have every intention to go straight from work home and I would be sitting at the grocery store parking lot or the liquor store. No idea how I got there, but no phone list was going to help me. No friend. I had one thing on my mind and it was to get home as fast as I could to drink myself to sleep. And it's, it's a terrible way to live. And I never want anyone to have to ever experience that because it just, it destroys families and our health and our home and our mental health that having these conversations and even the digital community, it's so awesome to see so much support and awareness and education around the consumption of alcohol. It's so hard to explain that feeling that you just talked about that little anecdote about making all these excuses in order to justify, you know, going to the grocery store to get, (laughs) to get more. And, and I now have so much more compassion for, you know, heroin addicts and people who have these really egregious circumstances and who are judged so much, you know, it's like, what, what is wrong with these people? Why would they even try it in the first place? I can never understand. And I'm like, I'm gonna stop you right there because it's exactly what you just said. Like you can never understand. I think unless you truly sit down and listen to people's stories and listen to to them, try to articulate what it's like in our head, whether it's a loved one or somebody on a podcast or whatever, and accept that that's actually the truth, what they're telling you, or the only other way to understand it is to experience it yourself. And I wouldn't want that for anyone. I wouldn't want to like hand over the way like my brain works <laughs> when it comes to dr- drugs, alcohol, men, whatever, whatever it is du jour. It doesn't have anything to do with uh, how much we love our children or our spouses or our jobs or our life. And it has everything to do with just the way that we are wired. And not everybody is like that. And so be grateful if you're listening to this and, and that's not how your brain is wired. We're kind of touching on something that I I want to make sure that I ask you about because I know that in your work, you talk a lot about boundaries. And this is, you know, for anyone listening to this who maybe doesn't identify as having somebody who has a, a real problem with alcohol, but they're wanting to, you know, quit for like 90 days or something, or maybe like the rest of the year or a whole year even. And they know that they're going to be up against people who are questioning them or trying to talk them into just drinking this one time. Talk to us just about boundaries in general. Yes. So boundaries, they're obviously really important to have. And I think setting boundaries from a place of, you know, honesty of communicating what you feel comfortable telling people and what feels authentic to you and know that it's okay to be vulnerable with people. I think it's important to practice with either a therapist or a person that's also in recovery with us to say, you know, refusal skills, like, 
no, thanks. I'm good. Or I brought my own drink, you know, or I can't come unfortunately, because next time I want to be able to say yes, having those Mm -hmm. opportunities to practice because it's not always going to be the way that it is. It's uncomfortable and we feel like we're missing out and we have this fear that we're going to be judged. We're judging ourselves for everybody is that there's nothing wrong with saying no. And that if I have to go into a room that I really don't want to go into and I have to alter my state of reality in order to want to participate in this event or this conference or conversation, I'm in the wrong room if I have to literally change who I am in order to tolerate it. And so it just comes down to just being honest, getting to know you and why you're doing what you're doing. And if you're passionate about saying, you know what, alcohol is getting in the way of me living my best life. I don't know Mm -hmm. how I got here. I'm really confused. I don't know if I'm ever going to drink again or not. But for today, my, my family comes first and my mental health comes first. And I really like the way that I show up in my life and in the world by switching the beverage that I have in my hand mm-hmm. and just being okay with just saying no, because no is a complete sentence. And that yeah. was the number one boundary that I put up. I, I'm a justifier. I feel like I have to explain myself for why I'm choosing not to drink because I'm feeling, I already think they're going to judge me as I'm not going to be fun and cool, mm-hmm. you know? And it's it's so far outside of our head. We just get so wrapped up that that's not even the case. And, you know, if it is the case, then they're not somebody who's going to root for you and who's supporting you because this is a health issue. And if they're not going to support the fact that this isn't good for you, your mental health and your health and longevity of your life, we need to reevaluate where they fit into your life. Yeah. Unfortunately, that's that happens. And it's tough. Um, It really it, it really is like. I'm honest with people and I say, yeah, I get invited to less things because I don't Mm -hmm. drink. And I think that people assume that I'm judging them because they do. And 10% of the time I am, (laughs) especially if I see someone who has like a similar story to mine. And I'm like, I know where you're headed. Let me know if you want to talk about it. I'm here for you. But 90% of the time, it's like, I don't really care. Like, I know how obsessed our culture is with alcohol. Like, I get it. I've been there. But yeah, I get invited to to less places. Um, but I wouldn't trade it for anything. Like, I, I, there's, and there's so many ideas out there. Like if anybody is struggling with like what to say, if you're going to go to that party and you know that you're going to be offered alcohol, like just Google what to say, how to say no to alcohol. There's tons of information out there, but I make a joke out of it. It really kind of depends, but I tell people no. And if they like press it, I'll be like, trust me, you don't want me drinking. Cause I'm going to end up trying, trying to make out with you and your husband and then showing yep. everybody my boobs. And like, most of the time they're like, like their eyes are just like, I can't tell if she's kidding or not. And I'm like, I'm not kidding. Like, <laughs> yep. I'm fun, sober, times that by 100. And it's, it's, I go off the deep end very, very quickly. You're so funny. I do that too. But you know, that takes time. Mm-hmm. It takes, you know, recovery. It takes honesty. It takes it confidence takes com- in your recovery too. Confidence <laughs> yeah. is the number one thing. And it is so, once you get that, that sober swag and that like swagger, when you become unstoppable, because now you're a person who identifies as a non-drinker who is proud and not embarrassed to stand behind that. Like, no, mm-hmm. I, I do some really messed up crap when I mm-hmm. drink. Trust me. Oh, I got you. I'm not going to waffle on the idea of act, you know, just not answering the question and being like fumbling. Like we've gotten past the point where we don't want to drink. Yeah, sure. We probably would. Right. If I could drink mm-hmm. normally, I, hell yeah, I'd yeah, be on same. it. But I can't. And so I've gotten past that whole 50 shades of gray where I'm negotiating and bargaining and trying and looking for that third door and looking for moderation. Like, so it's easier for me to have the confidence because I made my decision. Mm-hmm. I am a non-drinker and I'm a better person and I love myself more and I want to live more than I want to die. So my refusal skills and my ability to show up and be confident about you enjoy your beverage. I have mine. Thank you for thinking of me. I'm ready to karaoke at seven. Let's go. This is going to yeah. be fun. Right. So just giving them that ease that everything's good. I'm still a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. And they're going to make their own judgments and they're going to come to their own conclusions. But 
you're right. We're going to lose people. We're going to lose social circles. But guess what? That gives us an opportunity to have new experiences, new relationships and friend circles that we wouldn't have had because now we have so much more time that we just, we feel like we're giving up everything in order to remove alcohol. And that's so not the truth, even though it feels like that. But when Mm -hmm. we've been doing something for so long, it becomes our whole world. And so, yeah, everything that we do is circled around alcohol Mm -hmm. until you stop doing it. And then everything in your life becomes things that people are doing that are non-drinkers. And Mm -hmm. it's glorious. It's just getting to that point and trusting in the process. Exactly. I, I'm I'm super curious about this and, and maybe maybe it gives hope to people out there. Do you work with people who truly can moderate, who maybe their drinking has just become a bad habit and they are not, they don't actually have alcoholic thinking or do the majority of people that you work with end up being abstinent for forever? Personally, my professional experience and just people that I've known in my life personally, I have never met one person that has been able to successfully moderate their alcohol mm-hmm. consumption for a period of time. I think when we get addicted to any addictive substance, it's just a matter of time before we're completely hijacked and addicted and dependent yeah. from a substance. So I think there's difference in years and spans and tricks of the trades and programs and you know coaches that will try to do hypnosis and, you know, all of these other things. I'm just a believer of, I work a lot with people who have a dependence, who know that they have this, this vice. Yeah. They still don't want to give it up, but they're not, they have to go through their own process of moderation Mm -hmm. in order to come Mm -hmm. to the conclusion that alcohol is problematic in their life. And nobody can tell them that no judge, no child protective services, no partner, no addiction counselor, that this has to be their own experience. And so I've personally never seen somebody be successful. And I think asking yourself the question of why are we holding on to this thing? Why is this so important to you that you're willing to fork out tens of thousands of dollars Mm -hmm. in coaches and oils and practices and jumping (laughs) over broomsticks and blowing out purple candles? Like, Mm -hmm. why? Why are you trying to do this? It is destroying your body. Yeah. Why? What value are you getting from moderating? Exactly. I'm going to say this for anyone out there who's listening, who might resonate with this. And I'm curious what your thoughts are about this, Michelle, when I say it, like when I would think about moderating, when we're, we're kind of like in that place of like, okay, I think it's a problem. I know that there are sober people and I know that there's programs out there, but I'm, that sounds excruciating to not drink. Mm -hmm. But then when I would think about moderating, I'm like, I don't want that either. Like, I don't, I don't want to moderate. Like I want to drink. Like I want to, uh, you know, I always feel like many of us have this motto, uh, like if one is good, then five is better. Mm -hmm. And I think that way still about so many things. Like my husband is aghast at how many ibuprofen I take. He's like, Mm -hmm. you're, (laughs) and I'm like, what? (laughs) I don't know what part of my brain thinks that I am so special that I need more Mm -hmm. than like the average person, but it's something again about the way that I'm wired, but I have no interest in moderation. It mm-hmm. That sounds excruciating to me. And the way I describe it, because I think everyone has been in this place. So say you're at a social event and you have to pee and you on the drive over there, you had to pee and then you get there and you're like, oh my God, where's the bathroom? And you run into someone and they're talking to you and they're talking really slow. Like, what are you thinking about? You're not present for that conversation. You're thinking that you need to pee. You're thinking, when is this person? I need to like, I'm going to have to interrupt them. I'm going to need to, and you're kind of like looking over their shoulder, like, is the bathroom that way? Is that the men's restroom? It's like, you become obsessed with finding a bathroom. And I tell people, that's how I think about drinking. When I am at a social event and I have a drink in my hand and someone's talking to me and they're kind of long-winded, I'm thinking, I hope they stop talking soon because I need to get to the bar to order another drink. And I wonder if I should order two drinks because the line is getting kind of long. And would that look weird if I had two drinks? And then maybe my husband won't finish his drink. And like this, it's it's this constant kind of like ticker tape along the bottom of the screen. And so, and that's not, I don't want to moderate. I want to be double fisted. I want to make sh- I want to ensure that I always have inventory. Yep, always. I use the bathroom analogy because again, everyone's been in that place where they really have to pee and that's all they can think about is going pee. And so that is what I mean when I say that we become obsessed and that is no way to live. Like can you imagine like living your life having to pee all the time? Like <laughs> that would be awful. 
I did. I mean, that's how at the end of my mm -hmm. drinking, I was like that. Like, I mean, moderation sounds terrible. It's a terrible idea for me. It's like to measure, you know, to put the cork back in a wine bottle and put it on your kitchen counter. Are you kidding me? Like, no. who can do that? You know, I could at the very, very beginning, but it's like to measure and to be restricted and, oh, I already drank one, so I can't drink again for a week. That just sounds awful. I'd rather just have none. Yeah, exactly. The only time I can moderate successfully would be to prove to you or whoever that I can do it, but then I would be resentful that I had to do it. And then I would still be constantly thinking about it. That is worse. I guarantee anyone listening, <laughs> that is worse than not drinking, than being 100%. completely abstinent. And it's, yep. it's hard in the beginning, but it does get better. And I think that too, like really a place to start for people who are just like, oh my gosh, you guys are further along, you know, the journey than I am. <laughs> These evangelists. I, I know, right? It's that, you know, don't turn out like us. And, you know, there are programs and communities and awareness and tools and resources to be able to nip this in the bud a lot sooner, which is so amazing. I'm a little yeah. jealous. I wish it was there, but I went through what I went through to get to where mm -hmm. I'm at and I'm grateful to be alive. But I think it's so cool to have these books and resources because I truly believe if you fill your head full of sobriety, drinking is never the same. So I right. always recommend people. They're like, well, you know, I don't have a drinking problem, but I, I do notice that over like the pandemic, I've been drinking more than I'd like to, but no one's made a comment. I haven't gotten sick, like none of that. Learn what it does to you. Learn mm -hmm. the science and the psychology behind how it affects the human body and how it affects you personally. And so you can do that by podcasts like this. You can do that by books. You can do There's that so by journaling. Being a fly on the wall in Facebook communities, you know, I've built a community that's like, you know what, let's have conversations with women about really hard things about the motherhood and the pandemic and the, the maternal mental health that are leading people to reaching for this substance. So I think that you can't argue with science. You just yeah. can't. This is how it affects your body and your mind. This is how you're going to show up. Knowing this, you can make a more educated decision about what you want to do. Because if we just hear, this is how it used to be back in the day, the campaigns for drugs were, here's your here's your brain on a frying pan, and it would show you an egg, right? right. This is your brain. This is what's going to happen to you. Okay. Mm -hmm. Like, I want real life examples. Mm -hmm. Like I want to know what, what it don't scare me straight because that just isn't scaring me. That's just ridiculous and dumb. Like, mm -hmm. you know, I need something new that's telling me what, why I shouldn't be doing this or what's going to happen as a result. So getting yeah. in those closed ended community groups on Facebook and just looking and seeing that you're not so different than other people and that there is such a different experience in community than just going into the bottom of a basement and participating in Alcoholics Anonymous. Yeah. I I am an AA member. And I do identify as an alcoholic, but that keeps me sober. It keeps me alive another day that I'm a person who doesn't drink. And so whatever works for somebody, do it and do yeah. more of it. Because at the end of the day, we all need to be healthy and happy and be present for our kiddos if that's what we have. Mm -hmm. And just, you know, that hardship is that I think that I always say this, this is like, I had the predisposition to alcoholism. So I stayed away. What mm -hmm. I did was it didn't go anywhere. I just didn't poke the bear and the bear right. was in hibernation. Mm -hmm. So life events bring out really hard times, bring out the worst in us, bring out emotions that we've had stuffed for decades. And so having the loss of my mom, having the deployment, having physical health issues, all of these other things, I poked the bear. Mm -hmm. And the drinking was just in hibernation. And that was how I was going to deal with life. And everyone's going to have these life hardships. It doesn't matter if it's a pandemic or a death or what's going to happen. It's going to happen. And do we have the proper tools and the support that we're going to be able to get through this really hard time without self-medicating because it's definitely not the answer. So yeah. being vigilant and just being aware and just being mindful that, wow, if over the holidays you thought that you were drinking a little bit more, be mindful of that and just notice when you want to reach for that glass of wine, I think I'm going to have water and that's going to be a radical act of self-care for me tonight because I would really like 20 of them because my kids are driving me insane. But I can't show up for that insanity of being with my kids if I'm just going to tap out because guess what? We signed up for this job. It's called parenting. And my kids ran the ship, the boat, whatever you want to call it, where 
they were just running away. And so I literally had to take a parenting class in order to get control back of my household because I would just, I'm I'm done. I'm tapped out. I'm going to drink, eat fruit snacks, color on the walls, do whatever you have to mm-hmm. do. And you just can't do that. It's like, no, I run the show. I'm the boss. You're a kid. I need to get this this household back in alignment. Long term, it doesn't work. Yeah. Once in a yes. while, yes, throw them a pack of fruit snacks and hide in the pantry. But right. <laughs> it's not a it's not a good long-term coping. Not self-care mechanism. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for this. And and I am so glad now because back when I came out, very, very few people were talking about about this publicly. And I was so afraid. And I'm so glad now that there are other recovery groups besides Alcoholics Anonymous. I am also, I thank AA for saving my life there in, in the very beginning, but I do see it, it does have its, it has its problems and drawbacks and it's definitely not for everyone. And so I'm so glad that there are people like you out there and other recovery programs that can help women and also so specific too, you know, that you mm-hmm. mostly help women who identify as having a problem with drinking and that are, that are moms, but there are so many resources out there and, and coaches and, and people who are qualified to help, um, who don't just help women who are moms. And that's why I'm doing all these interviews. So thank you so much for being here. I appreciate you so much. I know that you're at recoveryisthenewblack.com and we will have that link in the show notes. Is there anywhere else that you want to send people to make sure that, that they know about it? Everyone is more than welcome. That's a woman that's identifying either living or exploring an alcohol-free life can join the private Facebook group that is Recovery is the New Black. It's for women only. It's a great, safe, sacred space for people. Yes, absolutely. Awesome. Um, They can follow me on Instagram. And then I just had my sobriety journal for women. Um, It's out everywhere. Books are sold. It's called Living Sober, Living Free. It's an amazing tool that I truly wish that I would have had when I started exploring my relationship with alcohol. So I am just, thank you for having these conversations because these conversations are awareness and awareness saves lives and it gets people to stop and think. I thank you for just having those conversations because they're not easy to have, but they're so Mm -hmm. important to have. So thank you so much. My pleasure. My pleasure. I was always, as always felt called to do it. So listeners, thank you so much for giving us your time today. I know how valuable it is. And I'm so grateful that you choose to spend it with me and my guests. And remember, it is our life's journey to make ourselves better humans and our life's responsibility to make the world a better place. Bye now. Hey, did you know there's free secret podcast episodes waiting for you that are not part of my regular podcast feed? Yes. AndreaOwen.com slash free. And you just sign up you get a link sent to you. It's very secret. It's like a secret club. We don't have a secret handshake. Don't worry about that. But it's these motivating podcast episodes that I made for you. They're under 20 minutes each. There's three of them. They're for wherever you are in your life. So head on over there and grab them. They range from really supporting you and seeing you where you are and being compassionate all the way to giving you a giant kick in your ass and telling you how amazing and gorgeous and phenomenal you are. So andreaowen.com slash free and get your hands on that free podcast feed. 